Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up is a word from Pastor Sun Ho. I am so excited. I know that God is here. I know that God has a great word for us. Three weeks ago at the Leaders' Worship Night, I preached a sermon on encounters. And after the service, some of the leaders came to me and said, Son, can you please preach this message to the church? My members need to hear about it. So that's what I'm going to do this weekend. All right, tonight, I'm going to preach on the sermon that I preached two weeks ago, but for all the leaders, do not fret. Because there's a second part to the sermon called How to Follow Through with an Encounter, which I'm also going to share with you in this service. So, many of you notice that there are some changes in our praise and worship. You know, and, and some of you are scratching your head and you're thinking, why? In a little while, I'll tell you why. But I just want to say, I just want to thank all the leaders that have been writing to me through emails and messages. I remember one of the days I was uh, replying all my emails, so many of them. And so many of you wrote to me, and I, I remember that I, I replied one of you and said, I have never felt so anointed replying email. You know, it was like the anointing of God was literally on me because I was reading your encounters with God. I just want to say that I feel so encouraged that, you know, it's not just a plain message where you say, oh, son, you know, it's so good. The praise and worship in church is so good or the worship night is so good. You told me the encounters that you have, the details. You know, some of you shared with me how when you stand in the presence of God and His love just melted your fears and your inhibition. You know, and others wrote to me, one of you, you wrote to me and you said how in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit convicted you of the anger that you were trying to suppress or deny and not looked at. And how the Holy Spirit searched your heart and His love melted your heart and gave you the ability to love again. And one of these testimonies that, you know, that you sent to me, I remember it's a male uh, self-leader because he said that, son, I... I'm just so blessed by the presence of God. It just leaves me so hungry for more of God. And I remember going home, going into my room, and that night I told my wife, please look after the kids. So she, he put bracket, she has to do the hard work. You know, and he said, I went into my room, I picked up my guitar again. This time not because I have to play and prepare for cell group, not because I have the song lead, but I just really want to worship God. You know, so keep those testimonies coming because... It really blessed me, and it helps me to, you know, reply my email and make it more anointed during those times. But what I'm trying to say is, God is touching us, you know, when we worship Him. Some of you also ask, does it mean that we're not going to have praise anymore? <laughs> no, we are going to have praise, all right? We're going to have praise. We had praise just now. We're going to have praise. But what I, what I want to say is, I don't want our three praise and to worship structure, to become a structure, to become a religion, to become, you know, something that's predictable. And so many of us, we are guilty of being outside that hall during praise. Please do not lift up your hands because I was, I'm guilty of that too. Sometimes I walk in late and I see you outside using your phone, talking on the phone, talking to friends. And sometimes we just tell ourselves, oh, it's okay, it's just praise. It's not okay. We are praising the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have to come in His presence 
full of expectancy, all readiness to praise Him and to worship Him. So I encourage the worship leaders and the band to switch it up a little bit because I just don't want it to become a structure, something so predictable, something, you know, a time that we use to give excuses not to be in this house to worship God on time. I want to read a prophecy to you, and this I want to share why the change in our praise and our worship. Some of you heard this prophecy before because pastor read it once in the, in the service, and I read it once and also three weeks ago, another time, to the leaders. But I want to read it again, and I want you to listen carefully. It is prophecy that's given by a prophet from Asia, so don't mind the English. Sometimes it's not that proper, but listen carefully to the Word of God, what God has to say to us. He says, God showed me that for 2017, City Harvest Church will be a people of unusual worship in Asia. The Lord will creatively give new songs of deliverance in your midst. I see a vision that in 2017, God wants you to be very close to Him, so close with Him that your forehead is touching His forehead. Forehead to forehead, very close, very close. God wants your heart to be closer to Him more and more, more and more. This church will become a mighty people, an army of worshipers. Your power is worship. You will begin to hear many people testifying that during worship in church, they experience deliverance from evil and from financial debts. You yourself will testify of healing miracles and financial blessings from God. I see a vision, golden gates. I see written above these gates are the words hiding plates. This is the place of refuge. As you worship, the Lord unveils these golden gates among you. As people enter into the hiding place, they discover that it is not only a place of refuge, it is a place of favor for them. The Lord says as you come in, I will give you all things. You don't have to worry about anything. When you worship, I will provide you with all things. And God will say to you, when you obey me, when you do what I say to you, I will send you a new dimension of glory and anointing. You will never be the same again, City Harvest. I have waited so long, my people, because I have been preparing you. Once again, I say, don't worry about anything. You don't need, you don't need to fear anything at all. Just surrender totally to me, because when you remain silent and only worship me, I will do marvelous things for you. Why don't we give Jesus a big hand? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. From the very beginning, oh God, we sense your presence so strongly in this service. We know that you want to speak to us in a way that only you can. So we ask, oh God, for our hearts to be open, to perceive, oh God, what you have in store for us. Bless the preaching of the word. God, let us Look into the supernatural. Let our eyes be open. Let us truly hear the voice of God tonight in this service, that our lives will never be the same again. In Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alex. I remember when I 
received this prophecy. It is one of those prophecies that really resonated in my spirit and in my heart. I went back to the office and I shared the prophecy, the prophecy of unusual worship with the city worship team. And everyone was so stirred in their heart. We started writing songs. We started planning to have a live album. We reasoned to ourselves that in order to capture this devotion, this unusual worship, this sound that God has given to City Harvest Church, we must have a live album. We planned it. We put it down in the calendar. But what happened to Pastor and the team got everything delayed. But yet the Word of God has never left my heart. The prophecy or the Word of God to us is, in our worship, we will experience healing. In our worship, we will experience deliverance. In our worship, there will be breakthroughs. Our needs will be met. And in our worship, there will be encounters. In our worship, it will be forehead to forehead with God. And the Word of God burned within my heart. July was our Emerge conference. And I remember two weeks before the conference, one night when I was preparing the message, as I was praying in my room, I heard myself saying out loud, Holy Spirit, please let me make room for you. Holy Spirit, I want to make room for you. Spirit God, I want to make room for you. As I was praying that, I know exactly what my spirit was praying through me. I know that my desire was that God, please don't let me just be so focused to deliver a message. I want to partner with you. Every time when I stand on this stage, Holy Spirit, I want to partner with you because anytime when you want, I want to step aside and let you, Holy Spirit, do what you do best to touch the hearts of the people more than any sermon, more than any word that can come out from a man or a woman's mouth. That was my prayer. Holy Spirit, I want to make room for you. Image conference came. And if you remember, the Saturday evening, I preached my first sermon. I brought you to Acts chapter 1. I shared with you Jesus' passion. How when Jesus, or how we, when we look at the cross, we see pain. But yet when Jesus looked at the cross, he sees passion. You and I are the subject of his passion. You and I are the reason for his passion. And then Sunday morning, I shared on Passion 101. I shared that passion is not static. You and I need to grow in our passion. We need to move from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. I challenged the people. And I remember at the end of these two services, I was walking out of the hall and going into my office. I was so grateful to God. On Saturday night, many gave their heart to Jesus. On Sunday, when I was preaching, I could see that even in the middle of the preaching, people were weeping, and I could see that the Holy Spirit was touching the hearts of the people. So I went into my office and I sat there, and I thought that my work or my job was almost done. And I remember sitting on my seat, and I told the Lord, God, I, I think I'm a little bit tired. 4.30, there's still much worship night. And, and I, I just felt so satisfied. I thought that my job was done. But then brewing within my spirit, that prayer again, Holy Spirit, I want to make room for you. Holy Spirit, I want to make room for you. 4.30 came. 
we came into this hall. The young people were all here. There was no seat. We removed the seats. You know, and the young people were sitting, kneeling, and I see parents with pram, different ones just coming to join the worship night. And I remember sharing a very short message to the people that God has put eternity in our heart. And let's not be mistaken that we are just a physical body to happens to have a spirit. The truth is we are spiritual beings that happens to live in this physical body temporarily. And I shared that in all our experiences in life, if nothing can truly satisfy us, then maybe like C.S. Lewis would say, that the probable explanation would be that you and I, we are made for a life that's outside this world. And we started worshiping God. And I remember coming to that song, Oh, draw me, oh, draw me away. Messiah today, to your presence to stay. As we were worshiping, I was not expecting it. Like I said, I was kind of tired. But I was giving my best to the Lord, just worshiping together with the young people, whoever that came. And we were just worshiping God. Oh, draw me, oh, draw me away. As we were worshiping and worshiping, the Spirit of God came. And the people started laughing, crying, clapping, proclaiming, declaring. It's almost like it just happened all at the same time. Standing on that stage, I felt so humbled. I knew that, that this is the moment that I've been waiting for. This is the moment that I've been praying for. And I told the Holy Spirit as the people were laughing, crying, proclaiming, and declaring. I know that the Holy Spirit is just working in the hearts of the different ones. And I told the Holy Spirit, I said, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to move aside. Please do what you do best. Just minister to the people. And I remember I was standing here, and I wanted to move aside, so I turned to my right side. And at the corner of my eyes, I could see Wayne, our zone supervisor, just kneeling down at the corner, just worshiping God. And as I turned, the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, like a river, like a thrust, and it goes bam into my being, into my stomach. I really felt like somebody just punched me with a fist, you know, and literally, physically, I went back a few steps. And without preparation, without any, you know, notification from God, I cried. I broke out in tears and I cried and I cried on that stage together with the young people. The Holy Spirit just moved so powerfully and all the burdens, all that tension, all that pain just lifted up from me. After that meeting, I went home just speechless so bursting out with joy. I know that God has poured forth His Spirit. This is the beginning of something. This is the beginning of a revival. I know that what we experienced, what we saw that night was just the tips of the iceberg. And I was so bursting with joy. And then the truth hit me. Gosh, I have to go to America. I was scheduled to preach in Pastor Derek's church 
And I was supposed to go to Saddleback to understudy a program that I really want to bring back to City Harvest Church. And I was telling God, God, I have such bad timing. You know, I mean, I shouldn't have, you know, I mean, booked myself, you know, with all this itinerary. I want to stay back. And I remember just a few days before I left for America, I was having a fellowship with a prophet. And I was telling him what happened in Emerge meeting. And he said this to me. He said, when God entrusts us with a revelation or a move of God, he always starts small. He watches how we handle it to see whether do we desire it. He sees whether do we hunger for it. Are we faithful over what God has given to us? Do we treasure the move of His Spirit? And I felt even worse. I'm like, God, please, you are the chief shepherd of this church. You know my heart. You know, I booked this way before. I didn't know what you were going to do. I have to go to fulfill my commitment. But you are the chief shepherd of our church. Please continue to pour forth your spirit. And before we make the America trip, one of the team members said that since we're in America, we should go to Bethel, we should go to Reading. And I was like, you know, our itinerary is so full. Are we sure we really want to do this? It's eight hours of nonstop car ride, plus all the stopovers, it's 14 hours. Jocelyn was sitting next to me. Many times she wanted to manifest, I wanted to lay hands on her. 14 hours nonstop, almost nonstop, you know, with some toilet breaks and all. You know, we were just in that car. So long, so long, it feels like eternity. But when I reached Bethel that night, we made it for Friday night service. When I entered the hall, I was so moved in my heart. It was as if the Holy Spirit, it was as if God has been waiting for me. I could feel Him in the atmosphere. We lift up our hands to worship God. I don't know a single song that they were singing. I didn't recognize the song leaders. You know, the YouTube version that we usually watch and worship together, we recognize those song leaders. But these song leaders, I don't recognize them and I don't know the song. But yet, I was totally submerged into the presence of God. It was so good. It was so good. I didn't want the worship to end. And finally it ended. We were all seated. And the pastor came. It wasn't Bill Johnson. It wasn't Pastor Bill Johnson. Another pastor that I don't know. Later on, I found out it's a church church pastor. He came up and he preached the word of God. And he talked about rejoicing in the Lord. It was good. We were all seated, and he started preaching, and then I hear people laughing, laughing more and more and more. And I was like, okay, I've heard this before. I'm prepared. I'm not going to be distracted. But these people kept laughing and laughing. Ten minutes down, they're still laughing. You know, and the corner of my eye, I could see that there was this lady on all fours, crawling along the aisle and laughing. By now, I'm peeling my nails. I'm like, okay, God, I'm here to encounter you. I really do not want to judge. And I want to hear that message. But they kept laughing. I cannot concentrate. You know, and I told myself, okay, I can do this. I can do this. You know, just shut off. 
Do not judge, because God is here in this place. You know, and what I really felt so impressed, so encouraged, was that the pastor, the preacher that was preaching, he was not a bit distracted. I was thinking, how can you still preach? You know, people are laughing everywhere. How do you remember your points? You know, but he was like, preaching, preaching, and go, more, more of the Holy Spirit, ha, 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 ha. And then he continued to preach. I was like, wow, this is another level of homiletics. You know, it's like, wow, impressed. I was so impressed. You know, really blessed by the word. I was so blessed by the word, and the preaching was over. And then the pastor say, you know, guys, recently we have a revival in our children church. Much louder, children church, always having revivals. We have, we have a revival in our children church. I want the leaders from children church, come to the stage, come to the stage, you know, and just lead us into the presence of God. And there was this lady that came on the stage, and she took the mind. And by now, everyone just kind of stand up and move around, you know, and they kind of move the chairs away. And, you know, we went to America, we went to Bethel in a team, right? You know, there are, there are other team members with me. And we were all sitting in a row. But by now, there was nobody around me. It's like, where are they? You know, everybody just kind of took their own corner. Maybe they didn't want me to see them crawling later on, or flying, or dancing. You know, and, and that was good. I was happy. I was happy to be left alone. You know, so here I was, just standing, not sure where the rest of the team members were. And I just closed my eyes and started, we started worshiping God again. And the lady that took the mind said, I really feel in my heart that tonight God wants some of you to just step out in faith to do what you cannot do. And then when I heard her saying that, I'm like, uh-oh. You know, and then she said, she was relentless. She kept saying, I really feel God is saying to some of you that tonight you need to step out and do what you cannot do. And there I was standing in the presence of God. And I said, God, if I can be honest with you, I cannot laugh. I cannot go, ha, 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 ha. This season of my life, since pastor and the rest have been taken away, it's so hard to laugh. God, I can give you sacrifice or praise. I can even dance in your presence. But I can't laugh, ha, 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 ha. I can't do it. And she was just going for it. God is speaking to some of you. You really need to step out in faith to do what you cannot do. And I was wrestling. With my eyes closed, I was wrestling with God. And I said, God, I feel so weighted. This is hard. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go, ha, ha, ha? You know, this is so contrived. I'm a pastor. You know, I can't make this happen. I can't laugh. And I started crying. And I started crying. As, as I was crying, I caught myself laughing. And then I was crying. And then I was laughing. And then I was crying. I was laughing. I was crying. I was laughing. And I was like, gosh, I'm laughing. You know, and this laugh is not a Peter Pan moment where you have a happy thought and go, ha, ha, ha. No. It wasn't a Peter Pan thought or moment. It was like deep joy, just break forth from me. As I was crying and laughing and crying and laughing and not quite sure what was going on, I was just really kind of like in a mess. 
I felt the presence of God. It's like liquid fire. It came down to my belly and was just so warm. And I know at that moment, I knew at that moment that the Holy Spirit is touching me. He's healing me. And I heard myself saying to God, God, you know, there's one more thing I would love to do. You know, in a merch, I shared with the people that to me, quiet time is going into my room, shut that door, go on my knees, close my eyes, and worship you and pray. I don't need any music. I don't need anything else. I just need to go to my room, close the door, and go on my knees. I sit by God for the past few months. Since Kong and the rest were being taken away, I don't know what happened to my physical body. My knees started to swell up. I couldn't stand up. You know, one day I was picking up something from the ground. I literally flopped on the floor, and I couldn't get up. And since then, I couldn't kneel. And I said to God, I said, God, it would be wonderful tonight. We're all worshiping in this hall. It would be wonderful tonight if I can kneel before you. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, why not? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I opened my eyes. Now all the chairs are being moved, you know, and some chairs were being stacked up. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to that stack of chairs. I'm going to kneel down. You know, because I didn't know what God was trying to do or has already done. I just wanted to kneel down. And I told myself in my kind of self, you know, I said that after I finish worshiping, if I cannot get up, this stack of chairs is going to help me. <laughs> because the team members are not around. They are crawling somewhere. <laughs> so I need that stack of chairs. But when I went down on my knees to worship God, something hit me. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. There was no more pain in my knees. And church, can I say to you, until today, I am still healed. Still healed. Remain healed. Totally healed. What I'm trying to say is, I'm not talking about the outward manifestation. The crying or the laughing, or the crawling. Really, it's not for me to judge. If God is the one that tells you to crawl, who am I to judge? If He's the one that asks you to dance, who am I to stop you? What is most important is whatever He asks you to do, Wayne. Whatever He asks you to do, Lily, or Kim Hall, so good to see you. Whatever that He asks you to do, you must do it. Because when you do it, when you obey Him, your life will never be the same again. He has something in store for you. You don't even know what hit you. Amen. And another team members was so blessed. She sent me this. She read it from the Passion Bible version when she was reading the book of Psalms. This was kind of like the introduction. And she sent this to me. And I shared this with the city worship people. And that's why the change in our praise and our worship, it says, singers who tap into the insights of the Psalms will bring forth truths in their songs, which will break the hearts of people. And that's my prayer. That every time when we come into the presence of God, the hardened hearts will be broken and release divine understanding to the church. The prophets must become musicians and the musicians must become prophets for the key of David to be given to the church. What is the key of David in Revelation chapter 3? 
It says that Jesus says that the key of David is given to the church. You know, he will open gates that no man can shut. He will shut doors that no man can open. And that is the authority that God has given to the end time church. That even as we worship God, he will open up doors and gates. He will kick them down so that no man can shut. He will give you breakthrough that no man can stand in between. And he will shut doors and protect you so that no weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. The prophets must become the musicians and the musicians must become the prophets. When you truly encounter God, your life must never remain the same. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a crooked man, a greedy man. He defrauded the people of money. That day when Jesus was there, nobody wants to give him space. He was a short man. He was like, excuse me, excuse me. Nobody wants to give him space. He has no choice but to climb up a tree just so that he can have a view of Jesus. And that day when Jesus' eyes met his eyes and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to go to your house. When he went to his house, Jacob's life was totally transformed. Not only did he get his salvation, the crooked man has his word turned right side up. He says to Jesus, he says to everyone, for all the possessions that I have, I divide half, and this half, I will give it to the poor. And this half, I will return to those that I have defrauded four times more. Such a transformation. A man that didn't just receive salvation, but his world was turned right side up. What about Jacob? The Bible says in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with God. Three things happened to Jacob when he pressed in to God. In verse 28, the Bible says that Jacob got a new identity in God. The Word of God says that Jacob struggled with God and with man and had prevailed. And God said to him, no longer will you be called Jacob, the supplanter, the manipulator, the cheater. But today, from today forward, you will be called Israel. And the word Israel really means prince. You will be a prince under the rulership of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that is what many of us need to experience. When we encounter God, when we come to church, week in and week out, what God wants to give to us is a new identity. Some of us have experienced things when we're younger. Maybe the background, the family background that we come from. We don't feel really proud of ourselves. We feel that we are nobody. Some of us have made bad choices in our life and we feel so shameful of ourselves. Some of us have things others have done to us. And we live with a scar. But today, God wants to encounter you, and He wants to give you a new identity. No longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel, a prince. We are the sons and the daughters of God. He wants to give us a new identity. We are. We are the sons and the daughters of the Most High. And when Jacob pressed the second thing that happened to him was he got a first-hand encounter with God. Verse 29 and verse 30, the Bible says that he didn't just receive a birthright or really cheated Esau of his birthright. He didn't receive a blessing. 
He didn't just have a dream of angels going up and down of that ladder, but he had come to a place called Penel. The word Penel really means face to face. He came to a place where he had a first-hand encounter, forehead to forehead, face to face with God. Why must it be that only Moses or Jacob or the different saints in the Bible has that privilege to meet God face to face. We are the end time church. The spirit of God has been poured forth so freely. I want to believe with all my heart that many of you, many of us, we will encounter God and we can walk away and say that for today, I have met with God face to face, forehead to forehead. Let's have faith. Let's desire. Let's press in. Why do we need to stand afar? Why? For the veil has been torn. We are invited into the holiest of holies to meet with him face to face. And finally, Jacob had a new walk with God. In order to end a wrestling match, God had to do something. In verse 25, the Bible says that God touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. Something broke permanently on the inside of Jacob. From that day, Jacob was never the same again. He was a broken man, not broken by sin or hurt, but he was broken to God. Jacob had a lifelong pattern of running away from his problems. Some of us, that's how we deal with problems. We run. And we get so tired like Jacob. We run. We keep running. And today, God is saying, Jacob, you no longer can run away from your family, your brother, or your uncle Laban. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21. I want to see a beautiful picture. At the end of Jacob's life, he wasn't running anymore. In fact, he was leaning on the top of his staff. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. He was leaning on the top of his staff. Isaiah the prophet said, it is the lame that takes the prey. It is the lame that takes the prey. I believe that there's a certain kind of brokenness that God is looking among us that until you and I are broken before God, to God, then can we do mighty exploit and win great battles for Him. The greatest work God can do for you and for me is not just healing, deliverance, prosperity. All these are good, and we need them. I'm so thankful that God healed my needs. So thankful. But the greatest work God can do for you and I is that He works deeply in us so that we can have a new identity, so that we can meet with Him firsthand encounter, face to face, so that we can have a new walk of brokenness before Him. Friends, having regular encounters with God is so precious and necessary in our Christian walk. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a book of encounters. Moses met with God in a burning bush, 
As a child, little Samuel has a very special encounter. He heard the audible voice of God. What about Isaiah? Isaiah had an open vision, and he saw God sitting on that throne. The 120 experienced the Holy Spirit like a mighty rushing wind on that day of Pentecost. Simon Peter in Acts chapter 10 had that supernatural vision. God gave him a supernatural vision to bring the gospel to Cornelius' house. And that is how world mission was born. Dramatic encounters. Some encounters are so dramatic, like Moses. He saw God as a fire burning that bush, but yet that bush was not consumed. What about Peter, James, and John? They saw Jesus transfiguring at that mountain with great glory. The Bible says that the face of Jesus shone like the sun. His clothing was so white like light. I've never seen a clothing so white like light. Can you imagine that sight? So dramatic was their encounter. But yet, I want to say this, City Harvest Church, not all encounters in the Bible are so dramatic. Not all encounters have the sighting of angels, lightning and thunder, you know, and transcending into heaven. Not all encounters are like that. Joseph had two dreams one night. Last night, my atom, golden retriever, decided to poo at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I have to wake up, and then he decided to poo again at 6 o'clock. And in between, I kept dreaming. You know, we all have dreams. You know, it's like you got woken up, you go back to sleep, you dream again, you got woken up, you go back to sleep, you dream again. We all have dreams, very mild, nothing so dramatic. But yet, Joseph's two dreams caused him to save a generation. And like what I shared with you, Zacchaeus, Jesus came into his house, nothing dramatic. There was no shaking, no glory. Jesus simply came into his house and his world was turned right side up. That is why the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Coe say, if you look for the supernatural only in the spectacular, you will miss the Holy Spirit. Can I say that to you again? If you look for the supernatural only in the spectacular, you will miss the Holy Spirit. My point is, I want us to have encounters. Encounters must be a regular part of City Harvest Church of your life and my life. Because our faith is not one that is dry and liberal. Our faith is not a philosophical religion. God is alive, God is living, God is active, and God loves us. He wants to draw near. He wants to love us. He wants to encounter us. He wants us to meet Him face to face. But what is important is not the degree of the drama. It is not in the sensation of the encounter. It is the way you and I follow through with the encounter that matters. Do you hear me, City Harvest Church? What is important is not the degree of the drama or the sensation that you and I feel when we encounter God, but it is the way you and I follow through with the encounter that matters. Look at the children of Israel. There are spectacular miracles. The parting of the Red Sea, the whole Egyptian army disappeared, dissipated, covered under the sea in front of their eyes. They were led by the pillar of cloud in the day, the pillar of fire in the night. They were fed with manna from heaven. They drank fresh water from the rock. 
They wore clothes that did not wear out for 40 years. So great were their encounters, so traumatic, so supernatural, so spectacular. But yet, those encounters didn't change them a single bit. The whole generation, the Bible says, perished in the wilderness. In fact, Psalms 106, from verse 7 to verse 25, talks about them. It says that the Israelites had encounters, but they did not understand the purpose of God. They have encounters, but they were rebellious in their hearts. They quickly forgot about the supernatural work of God. In fact, they complained about the manner. They built idols to worship right underneath the mountain of God. Can you beat that? They despised the blessings of God. They did not believe in His Word. The Israelite had encounters, but they did not have God's heart. And I pray with all my heart that even as we open up and worship the Lord more and more in this sanctuary, as you encounter God more and more, that we will not be like the Israelites, such dramatic, supernatural, miraculous encounters, yet our heart is not changed a single bit because we can have the encounters and yet not have the heart of God. I want you to look with me at Apostle Paul. I want you to see the encounters that he had on the road of Damascus. I know we know this passage very well, but I just want us to look at it for a moment. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. So Apostle Paul now is still being called Saul. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul witnessed the glory of God. He fell to the ground, the Bible said. He heard an audible voice. He was trembling and he was shaking. So here, Saul saw, he heard, he felt. Dramatic, isn't it? Dramatic encounter. But Saul didn't stop here. He followed through with his encounter. My friends, listen carefully. The important thing is not what happens when you fall under that power. The important thing is what happens when you get up. Amen. It is not. What happened when you fall under that power? Because it has nothing to do with you. It's the power of God. It is the working of God. But what happened when you get up? Do you stay the same? Do you still have the unbelief like the Israelites? Saul would eventually become the great apostle Paul. But it would not be for another 14 years, 14 long years before God launched his ministry in a great way. What happened to Paul in those 14 years? How did he follow through with this encounter? I prepared at least three ways that Paul followed through with his encounter, but I'm looking at the clock. I will only share with you one. Let's make room for the Holy Spirit. Are you happy? Better not be so loud. How did Paul follow through with his encounter? Paul built the altar of consecration. 
Paul built the altar of consecration. Everybody say consecration. consecration. One more time, consecration. consecration. Paul didn't build a physical altar that's made of stones like what we read in the Old Testament. Paul built an altar in the inner sanctuary of his heart. My friend, it is possible to meet with God, yet not have a place of consecration in your lives. It is possible to meet with God, yet not have a place of devotion in your lives. The question that I have for you tonight is, do you have an altar? Did you build an altar in the inner sanctuary of your heart? In your heart, is there a place that is exclusively reserved for Jesus? I'm not talking about a physical room. I'm talking about, is there a place in your heart and your soul that you know that is exclusively reserved for Jesus? Paul allowed the encounter on the road of Damascus to become the turning point of his life. Since the encounter, he was never quite the same man. He never forgot about it. He would foretell it again and again. In Acts chapter 22, he told the people about his encounter with God, and he told it to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. The encounter becomes such a major turning point in his life because he built an altar of consecration, 100% of surrender to God. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This is how Paul introduced himself. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. The word bondservant in the Greek is this word doulos. And the word doulos really means slave. So here Paul is saying that I am a slave to God. You know, and the other Greek word of the word servant is diakonos. Diakonos talks about a servant that is really still his own person. He's free to go anywhere. He wants to quit, he can quit, but not a slave. A slave is much, much lower than a servant. A doulos belongs fully to his master. He can only go where the master wants him to go. He can only do what the master wants him to do. He does only the will of his master. But the word bond servant is not just any other slave. When Paul says, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ, he's not just saying that I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. But the word bond servant really means love slave. A slave who serves voluntarily out of love. Exodus chapter 21 talks about slaves or such slaves. Some were being forced into slavery against their own will, but yet some voluntarily become slaves out of love. Look with me at verse 2, chapter 21. If you buy a doulos, a slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free and pay nothing. But if the servant plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ears with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That means that the slave can go free by the seventh year, but yet he has a choice to serve his master for the rest of his life. My friends, but to be a born servant, a love slave, a slave that's voluntarily served out of love, 
it's painful to the ears. Did you see here in Exodus chapter 21? It says that if you want to be doulos, if you want to be a bond servant, you have to go to your master and your master have to bring you to the door of the doorpost and he has to pierce your ears with an awl. It is painful to the ears. What does the scripture say to us? What does ears say to us? Hearing and doing the word of God. Obedience. It is painful to the ears. Obedience. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a very painful thing. For the past few weeks, Pastor Aris, Pastor Bob, even Pastor Main, shared one of the multiple services about obedience. You know, the word obedience and sacrifice makes sacrifice look so big, right? Sacrifice. But I tell you, obedience, it's a lot more painful than sacrifice. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a lot more painful. And here Paul says that, Lord, let my whole life be consecrated to you. He says, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ, separated to the gospel. I have one single duty from God, and that's to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Many of you heard of Catherine Kuhlman. You know, she's said to be one of the greatest healing evangelists of Christendom. I remember that when I was younger, I was so inspired by Catherine Kuhlman. I will get hold of any book that talks about Catherine Kuhlman, and I will just read the book cover to cover again and again and again and again. I'll be so fascinated by her relationship with the Holy Spirit, so touched by the healings that took place in her ministry, in the services that she conducted. You know, and the phrase, I believe in miracles because I believe in God, was made famous by Catherine Kuhlman. And when she talked about her relationship with the Holy Spirit, she says that we can never give to others what we have never experienced ourselves. I was so inspired, so inspired by her. But at one point in Catherine's life, she fell in love with the pastor. Falling in love with the pastor is a good thing, but not so for Catherine Kuhlman. Many of you know this story. Catherine Kuhlman fell in love with this man, a pastor, who she named Mr. But the problem is, Mr. was already married with a wife and two sons. The preacher's friends of hers pleaded with her to please not marry Mr. and to break up with him. But she wouldn't listen. And at the end, Mr. divorced his wife and got married to Catherine. And Catherine Kuhlman knew from the very onset that when she married Mr., she had made a tragic mistake. Yet there was no turning back for her. She was so stubborn. She entered into the deepest and darkest alley of her life. She lost her anointing, her dynamism, her charisma. Her ministry was just going downhill. Catherine knew that she was drifting away from her calling, but she was so stubborn she wouldn't repent. But one day, one Saturday afternoon at four o'clock, she left her apartment and went down a lonely street of the outskirts of LA. She said in her book, she walked and walked and walked and walked and walked until she couldn't walk anymore. She came to this place and she looked up 
and she saw the road sign, date end. And there, she felt such pain and such struggle that she said she couldn't even express in word. There was such great heartache within her. And finally, she repented and confessed her sin before God. And that day, it was her date end encounter. She received the assurance of God's forgiveness. Three days later, Catherine bought a one-way ticket at the train station. She said goodbye to Mr. and she never seen him ever again. In her own words, this was what Catherine Kuhlman said. No one would ever know the pain of dying like I know it. For I loved Mr. more than I loved life itself. And for a time, I loved him more than God. I finally told him I had to leave. Leave. God had never released me from the original call. Not only did I live with Mr., I have to live with my conscience. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit was almost unbearable. I was tired of trying to justify myself. Tired. Standing on the date end, Street, Catherine Kuma looked up to God and cried, Dear Jesus, I surrender all. I give it all to you. Take my body, take my heart. All I am is yours. I place it in your wonderful hands. Years later, Catherine Kuma would say, Jesus knows that I'll be true to him. And I know that I'll be true to him. In that moment, my date and encounter. I yielded to God in body, soul, and spirit. I gave him everything. Then I knew what the scripture meant about taking up your cross. Listen carefully, City of Church. He says, at that moment, I yielded to God in body, soul, and spirit. I gave him everything. Then I knew what the scripture meant about taking up your cross. A cross is the symbol of death. That afternoon, Catherine Kuhlman died, she said. And when I died, God came in. The Holy Spirit came in. There, for the first time, I realized what it meant to have power. Church, recently, I've been reading books from Watchmen Needs, and I came across this revelation that he had, that totally captivated my heart. Since that day, I have not stopped thinking about what Watchman says. He says, the blood of Jesus deals with sins, but it is the cross that deals with the sinner. You and I have been believers for a while. We don't need more of the blood of Jesus. On that cross, he broke every power of sin that can ensnare you. But what we need is what Catherine Kuhlman did. It is the cross that deals with the sinners. You want to experience Jesus? You want to experience his power? Come to the cross. You to him 100%. 100% consecration. That day when she said to Jesus, I give you my body, my soul, my spirit. I surrender it all to you.
how it came into her heart, into her life. Her ministry was never the same again. They said that the healings were so great. It was like relieving the book of Acts. Everyone came. Catholics, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Methodists, Baptists, young, old, rich, poor. They all came. My friends, that's the power of consecration. Paul, in chapter 9 and verse 6, while he was trembling and astonished, he said, Jesus, Lord, what do you want me to do? Paul understood the power of consecration. He understood the power of obedience. He understood the power of surrender. You want encounters? But encounters is not going to change your life unless you follow through with your encounter and surrender your whole life in total obedience, 100% consecration to Him. Since I read that revelation from Watchman Inns, the verse that I so loved since I was a young believer, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Friends, how many of us can say that? Some of us, there was a time, but we did crucify our life on that cross. But somehow, things changed. We went back to that cross and we took that body back. We took that whale back. We took that throne back. How many of us can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. You know how powerful that phrase, that verse is? Because if Christ lives in us, then you have no fear. If Christ lives in you, then you have all power. If Christ lives in you, then nothing can stop us from doing His will. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and has given His life for me. Friends, Follow through with the encounter, would you? Can we all stand on our feet right now? Shigiri Arabahari Arabashanti. Shigiri Arabahari Arabagari Arabashanti. Shigiri Arabahari Arabashugiri Jesus. Preach your word the best that I know how. Come and encounter your people right now. God wants to encounter you. But He wants the encounter to change you forever. He wants your life to never be the same again. Lift up your hands. Come, holy. 
Some of you ask me, can I come to the front to worship God? Friends, it's not about the front, the tears, or the seat. It's about what He's saying to you. If He says you come to the front, you come to the front. If He says you stay in your seat, you stay in your seat. If He says you raise your hand, you raise your hand. If He says you kneel in front of your seat, you kneel in front of your seat. It is what He says to you. Some of you say, my members are a little bit older. They can't stand for an hour of worship. Can they sit down? Of course you can. Nobody says that the posture of worship is standing. You can prostrate all you want. All I care about is that you encounter Him. 
and you will lift up your life in a hundred percent consecration to him
let it be a song. Let it be a yearning. Let it be a restoring. Let it be a pressing in. Let it be a hunger. Let it be a cry. that we will always always be leaning upon you that our hunger will never die Jesus make us pure Pure as go. Let your fire 
be the beginning oh God we want so much more of you teach us guide us help us to follow through with the encounters that we have had with you so much there's so much that you've in store for us every one of us here in this place if only our eyes the eyes of our heart will be open Open up the eyes of our heart that we may perceive, my Lord. Oh, that kingdom, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus. Race of disciples, oh God, in this church. Raise us up, O oh God, to change our generation. Come, Holy Spirit, seal the work that Jesus has started in us. Protect it. See to the fruition of it all. want so much more of you, God. One last time. Change your mood. How many of you want to love Jesus more? encounters you will follow through with them that your life will never be the same again and if it needs be it need to be 14 years later that the Lord can launch us out to do mighty exploit for him in his beautiful timing but let him work in you 
Let him work in you. Thank you so much for coming to church. Love someone before you You depart from this place, okay? Amen. And that's the end of this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us at connect at chc.org.sg 